Welcome back, everybody, to the first podcast of the 2010 fantasy baseball season. I'm your host, Rob Reed. I'm talking about outfielders today, the top 20 from playertrack.com. Hi, everybody. It is nice to be back. This is Rob Reed starting fresh, anew, putting the MP3 files on my own website without using a host and all that good stuff. So we're going to see what happens. I'm just getting back into the water, getting my feet wet and starting at zero listeners. We'll see. There are absolutely no subscribers to the playertrack.com podcast right now, starting fresh. And I thank you for listening once again. I'm going to be covering today the top 20 outfielders in all of baseball from last season, looking at prorated stats. Now, if you're new to the player track system, you might not be familiar with the terminology, so I'll tell you now and what player track does. Playertrack.com does what uh, fantasy leagues do. You determine the best team by determining who has the most points. PlayerTrack.com treats each player like their own team and determines which players after a given season have generated the most points and then ranks them accordingly. There are two different types of ranking. There is the raw ranking, which is based solely on actual stats, and there is the prorated ranking. Now, the prorated ranking is based on – it's given a proration for each player as if they had, say, 600-some-odd at-bats in the case of your standard position player or uh, somewhere in the 450 to close to 500 range in the case of a catcher, and it generates a list based on prorated stats. Now, the cool thing about prorated stats and why I use it for purposes of the podcast is it gives you an idea – of players to scout out, to search for. Now, somebody who I will be talking about today who comes in at number 10 and became a top 10 outfielder is Nelson Cruz. And Nelson Cruz, as a result of proration last year, was incredibly high on player track. And if you took Nelson Cruz, you definitely (laughs) enjoyed the stats that you got from him. So there will be some sleepers on this list, potentially, as a result of the proration and as a little teaser. The first uh, sleeper will be five players from now, so maybe that'll give you some interest in continuing to listen. Let's go ahead and talk about the number one outfielder in all of baseball under proration. You probably can guess it. He has been an amazing player the last few years. I'm talking about Ryan Braun of Milwaukee Brewers, and as long as he's there in Miller Park hitting in a hitter's ballpark like that, there's just no stopping the kid. Uh, The kid, since he first came up in 2007, has hit no less than 32 home runs, and it was the 32 home runs that he had last season. Now, that is a little bit of a drop in terms of power, but not a substantial drop. And and why it's remarkable and why I'm saying something is that he had his most at-bats last season of 635. Nice to have a full season to see if – Everything that he does is for real. He absolutely proved it. A great plus about him was certainly the batting average. Now, the batting average is still a question mark for me. Now, we have three years of sampling for Ryan Braun. 2008 is that middle year when his batting average on balls in play was 308. Now, the bookends of 2007 and 2009 have batting average on balls in play of 355 and above. In 2007, it was 367 and only 451 at-bats. 
That big drop in batting average on balls in play in that middle year of 2008 concerns me, but not a lot because his average in 2008 was 285. So let's say that he goes back down to 308. We're probably looking at around a 280-ish average once again, which certainly brings down his value. He wouldn't then be the number one outfielder in all of baseball, more likely than not. He may be like the 12th best outfielder in all of baseball, like he was at the end of 2008 with the 285 batting average. But uh, the thing that's great about Ryan Braun and why he's so valuable is he's a five-tool player. If he can hit over 300, it makes him just absolutely a wonderful ball player. Don't need to say a lot about him uh, other than the comment that I made that you can read at Player Track, and I encourage response, uh, encourage participation in the message boards that we have over there. Take a look. But I said he, he had established himself as one of the best in the business. The good news for Brewer fans and for you as a fantasy owner is he just turned 26. That's it. And I did say that the batting average can take a hit and look like 2008 again, but the power and speed is here to stay, making Braun a perfect first-round pick. The small reduction in strikeouts might be the indicator that Braun is primed to hit his prime. Next year is going to be the rule of 27 year. So we can only see amazing things happening with Ryan. If you're in a keeper league, obviously, I'm sure he's the the top of your, your keeper list, no matter how much you paid for him. Coming in at number two, though, is a guy that gets no respect. And I'm probably going to get some criticism here, but I consider this kid... And he's not a kid anymore, but I consider him an absolute sleeper. He's been one of my favorite players in fantasy for a number of years and a guy that I have wanted to own and usually didn't get him. Last year, he really came into his own as an all-around ball player. I'm talking about Tory Hunter. Now, I saw as of the end of the year last year, around December 29th, I saw Tory go in the 10th round of a 10-team mock draft, and that is crazy. Uh, I am on the record on Twitter. You can uh, add me as a, a Twitter dude. Uh, my Twitter is Robert Reed, R-O-B-E-R-T-R-E-E-D, like the Brady Munch guy. But in my Twitter, I say, I wouldn't be surprised to see this guy get an MVP in the, uh, in the American League. Yeah, go ahead and laugh, but it is possible, and here's why. Only 451 at-bats last season. He had uh, injury, certainly, that curtailed a a stellar season. Again, this is from comments that I made at the end of the year. A lot of folks believe Torrey is overrated. Some folks that I really respect, you know, some some Twitter folks that have responded to me. Um, But obviously you can get him for very cheap if he goes ninth, tenth round. I just think that's absolutely ridiculous. In a money league, he's absolutely worth 20-plus dollars. And uh, he missed over a month last season due to a groin uh, groin injury. He had a pretty bad September. And so I would say all of these things. I wouldn't focus on the injury. People might just be focusing on stats in their magazines if you have players that aren't as savvy in your league. But say, talk a lot about his terrible September and let that negatively influence others. Apparently, they already have a bad taste in their mouth, but in 451 at-bats last season, 22 home runs, 90 RBIs, which eclipsed 100 more at-bats that he had the previous season. He actually beat the home run numbers in 100 few at-bats just by one, but he beat his RBI totals. The Angels have some good elements in that lineup. I don't see any 
slowing down for Torrey Hunter. I'm sorry. He, maybe he could not appear in the top ten again, but he would be very close. The thing that makes me most excited about him is the fact that his batting average on balls on play was not ridiculously high. His contact rate stayed the same. The batting average on balls on play was about 20 points above his uh, league average the last few or his average the last few years. So a 299 batting average could easily come down to the 280s. Um, that's that's not the main issue. The interesting thing for me is this power upsurge. The stolen bases are, are going to hover near 20 again. And I'm sorry, I think he's amazing. And according to player track and proration, that's exactly what he was if he played an entire season. He may have been in the top 10 of all fantasy players last year. Number three is one of those guys that last season, I've talked to many people. I had a lot of trouble last season. I didn't do well in any of my leagues, mainly because I was in like 4,000 of them. But uh, one of the reasons I didn't do well in my leagues is I didn't uh, go on the waiver wire and grab hot players like Ben Zobrist, who comes in as the third best outfielder. Now, I'll start off with positive for Ben Zobrist because the cool thing about Ben you know, certainly came out of nowhere. And I like players that come out of nowhere. It's always fun. It makes fantasy baseball more fun. When you get some player you got for a buck or for free in a farm squad, all of a sudden just break out and go nuts. Because uh, it was v- very unsure whether he was even going to have a starting gig. Injury certainly helped him out last season for sure. I had a question from uh, Barlow, 0317 in June of early June last year, was whether I thought he would get the second base job full-time for the rest of the year. And, you know, I didn't really know. It turned out that he absolutely did. He had other people in that lineup playing out of their gourd, too, that we'll be talking about in future podcasts. Jason Bartlett comes to mind. My God, would he come out of nowhere, too? So Ben Zobrist is uh, one of those players. Last season, 27 home runs, 91 RBIs, 91 runs, and a two ninety seven batting average. What was his average in, uh, let's see, I'm looking, about 600 – previous career at bat since 2006 before uh, last year and his batting average was probably averaging about 220 ish <laughs> so he went from 220 to 297 all of a sudden now how do we explain that well his batting average on balls in play averaged probably about 230 in those 630 ish at bats that he had through 2006 to 2008 last season 330 the batting average for Ben Zobris is going to fall big time folks that's that's a no-brainer, and when that happens, his value is going to go down. But I'll tell you, what's interesting about him is the fact that he finally took a walk. You know, this is a guy that didn't really show that he could. His contact rate last season was just slightly below league average, but pretty close to league average, so he's essentially league average. The other aberration here is the stolen base numbers. He was only thrown out six times out of 23 attempts, getting 17 successful stolen bases. That was makes him look like a real interesting stolen base potential type player. His previous high output, though, was three stolen bases and nearly 200 at-bats in in 2008, which is on pace for nine. I think that Zobrist is probably more of a 250 to 260 hitter who can get you 10 stolen bases over the course of a whole season and maybe get you the same number of home runs that he had last year. I don't know where that came from. Uh, you know, that's one of those things where I think it's a total aberration. I'm not sure how old Ben is. I just looked it up. In May, he's going to turn 29. So he is in that prime area. I just think what we see here is ridiculous. 
overall player track rank for Ben Zobrist was seventh. He was the seventh best overall player in all of baseball, according to ProRation and according to playertrack.com last year. The great thing about him is his multi-position eligibility, which is what I want to start talking about, and I, I forgot. If your league has a minimum 10 uh, starts or 10 um, appearances in a position, then he qualifies for shortstop also which makes him incredibly valuable. I think second base is a little slimmer right now than shortstop. It's it's a toss-up. I haven't really paid a lot of attention, but um, Chase Utley's the top second baseman in all of baseball from last season. We'll talk about him when I talk about second baseman. And he comes in, I think, like 18th overall, and there are three shortstops that appear before him. And, and so while shortstop was a very slim position last season, we will revisit that and, and make a decision if that's the same case this year. But Ben had three starts at first base. He appeared 91 times at second base, one time at third. He was DH once, shortstop 13 times, outfield 70 times. So in most leagues, with 20 minimum uh, games played at a position, he's only going to qualify at second and outfield. But those are great two positions uh, for multi-position eligibility. Is Ben Zobris the guy that I'm going to target? I'm sorry, folks. Um, no. The answer is no because he's got nowhere to go but down. If I get him and I can get him late, then great. But he's not going late in any drafts. I haven't seen too many mock drafts yet. If if he is going late, please correct me and let me know. But I think he's going to be going way too high with way too much hype and way too much downside. Number four, though, in the outfield is a guy who has nothing but upside. Although, you know, he doesn't have too much farther to go up. But I can't see him going down. I'm talking about Matt Kemp, who could very well next year be the best outfielder in all of baseball. Uh, It's going to be difficult because of how well and the power that um, Ryan Braun has. But Matt Kemp has proven himself as simply an across-the-board player. He has these batting average on balls in play that are notoriously high last season since 2007. And those three seasons, last season's was his worst batting average on balls in play, and that was 349. The previous season, with exactly the same number of at bats of 606, his batting average on balls in play is 363. The bottom line is Matt Kemp can hit. Matt Kemp can hit them where they ain't. And that is a skill set. It's not luck. Matt Kemp is for real. And given his age, still a young kid. I just cannot imagine that he has anywhere to go. But up still, he was one of the best players, though, in all of baseball. Clearly, last season, 26 home runs. So he bumped that up eight from the previous season. Again, same number of at-bats. And he bumped his RBI numbers by 25. We have Manny Ramirez, who's extended his contract. Uh, He he was the one with the $20 million option that he accepted in November. And uh, this brings to mind Andre Ethier, who I've talked about before, who isn't going to appear in this top 20, but he'll be pretty close. Andre Ether was the type of player that needed to have Manny. When Manny wasn't around, Matt Kemp didn't need him. Matt Kemp was still amazing without him. So just keep that in mind. 30-30 is an absolute possibility here with Matt Kemp. And... There's not a lot more that needs to be said. You will hear, if you're new to the podcast, how much of a Dodger homer I am. I'm in Los Angeles, so probably be talking about Matt Kemp a lot because it's nice to have a player who's uh, near the top of the heap who is from my home 
uh, team, which doesn't happen very often, you know, since Mike Piazza left in the late nineties was the last time I could talk about a great fantasy player from, from Los Angeles. Anyway, number five is what you've been waiting for, at least for the first sleeper. This is a kid that I like a lot and he's a kid who's going incredibly late. I did a little research from couchmanagers.com, which is a, a, a mock draft website and they are nice enough to provide some free statistics. Now, Couch Managers has shown him from going in the 22nd round to the 34th, but mostly 27th and after. The 22nd round was an aberration, and probably some kid from uh, Detroit <laughs> drafted him or something. But uh, I just wrote something about him and uh, about Ryan Rayburn and talked about how last season he quietly produced, and he's definitely a sleeper pick to watch. And the Major League Baseball... MLB.com Tiger depth chart currently has him starting in left field. Now, the, the negative aspect of Ryan Rayburn, before I talk about his statistics, is that he had a low contact rate last season, so he strikes out way too much. He hit 291 last season. I could see the possibility of a 270-ish average, so he can knock close to 20 points off his batting average, which would certainly knock his value here. He appears, as we, I told you, number five under proration if he had a full season. He only had 261 at-bats last season. But as a fifth outfield gamble, I think he's great. In my humble opinion, he's great. And you can get him in a multi-league as a fifth outfield gamble and perhaps even a, a farm team squad gamble when he's going as late as the 27th, the 34th round. I don't know if the hype machine is going to build up with people like me talking about him and maybe we'll start hearing some other podcasters and some other websites focus on him and interest will start generating. And again, if you're new to the podcast, I want to tell you about my philosophy in general. You can read about it in the About section at playertrack.com. But I'm not one who likes to get young players who've shown nothing but potential. And the reality is, with the small sample that we have, Ryan Rayburn has really just shown nothing but potential. To quell my hype a little bit, let's look at his 2008 where he had 182 at-bats and hit only 236. The thing is, last season, the batting average on balls in play was only 20 points above the 2008 when he hit so low. So, And I should add, in 138 at-bats in 2007, he hit 304. That was with a crazy high batting average on balls in play, 376, though. So this is clearly a gamble. But the fact that he had 16 home runs and 261 at-bats essentially was on pace of 30, for 30-plus 30 given a full season and 90-plus RBIs, 90-plus runs scored, and perhaps uh, a, a run at close to 15 stolen bases, although he was caught almost 50% of the time in the nine times that he tried. He had five stolen bases. So that may not be where he's going to go. He may not run all that much, but five stolen bases and 261 at-bats, not too shabby. Certainly some good gravy on those mashed potatoes. I don't know what that means. Anyway, but that's uh, this is a kid that I like, a kid that I will consider a sleeper and, and where the proration of player track can be helpful. Where it can be a little unhelpful is when a player switches teams, goes from one nice place to play, which was Fenway Park, and then goes to the new city field in uh, New York, Shea Stadium Part Due, that has uh, been a terrible place to try and hit, especially for power for folks there like David Wright and Carlos Beltran. Beltran I'll be talking about a little bit later. 
Jason Bay comes in at number six. Now he only had a 267 batting average with a 318 batting average on balls in play. The reality with batting average for uh, Jason Bay is it could be anywhere between, I would say, uh, 270 to 290. And uh, that could go either way. At City Field, though, they have amazing players in that lineup. That's the bottom line. And so I think that will be helpful for him, at least to get Jason Bay's batting average up to the 280s, maybe as high as 290. The power numbers are what make Jason Bay so attractive. In the last four years, 21 home runs was the least that he had when he had that terrible slump year with the Pirates in 2007 after following up a just a grandiose 2006 where he ranked as the 11th best outfielder in all of baseball in 2006, came back to rank 82nd when he hit 247 in 2007, but since then has been just nothing but a power juggernaut. It's reality getting 10-plus stolen bases, you know, around 10, which is very cheap nice to get from a guy that you primarily are looking at for power. But the power numbers are there when he was playing outside of City Field. I'm not entirely convinced that City Field is a place where balls just won't go out. You know, I I just am not prepared to say that just yet. You know, they had injuries last season, as we all know, of Carlos Beltran and Jose Reyes last season, which may have made things difficult for morale, and people may not have been very happy, and somebody like David Wright was pressing a little, maybe, and that's why he only had 10 home runs instead of his usual 30-plus. Maybe. This will be the year to see what happens, and there is no excuse if you have a healthy Beltran, and that's still up in the air in the lineup, or you have a, a Wright and you have a power hitter in Jason Bay. Um, this will be the final test here, but it definitely makes me a lot less interested in Jason Bay going to this ballpark. That's the reality. And is he going to be top 10 next year? I don't know. We could very well see a 2007 happening again, but only if the Mets just don't get it together. Once again, I really like that offense that they have, especially if Beltran uh, can get into that lineup. Number seven is a guy who I think is going to regress. This is definitely a player who, while I like, has nowhere to go at this point but down. I'm talking about Justin Upton, and what I said about him on the player track message boards is I have a feeling that the hype machine is going to be huge here. The great thing about him, but this also could be a negative, is that he turns, he's only 22, he turns 23 next August. He's really just a 22-year-old. So I think we can expect great things from Justin Upton in, say, 2013, 2014. And if you got him cheap last year and you're in a keeper league, then I say you got no choice but to keep him. But I'm not so sure that the hitting is a result of a natural skill set. If he regresses to league average batting average on balls in play, or the 336 that he had in 2008, which was substantially higher than league average, but he only hit 250 then, He's the the kind of player that could just kill your batting average when you focus on just a single year. Now, stolen bases and power are the rule of the day here. I think folks are going to pay more for Justin in 2010 than he's going to return. And for this reason, I'm going to avoid him personally, if, if I can. He's just going to go too high. Anything below $15 is a bargain. I think the hype machine in Money Leagues is going to put him at $20, and that's way too rich for my blood for the relative risk. We've got two seasons of samples here in 2008, 356 at-bats where he had 15 home runs, clearly 30 home run 
kid. That's the reality, and just a wonderful thing to see in a 22-year-old when you can, I mean, I, I think in four years we're going to see him easily in the 40s. Uh, the plus, the interesting thing with him, though, is the, the 20 stolen bases and 25 attempts. That was awesome. He only had one, though, and was caught stealing four times in 356 at-bats in 2008. So once again, but it still looks like he's a stolen base player. The average is the thing, though. 364 batting average on Boston play last season, 336 in 2008. 336, like I said, was 30 points above league average when he hit 250 in 2008. That could have easily been 220 with your standard league average. So it will be interesting to watch there. I think that Upton is probably in a, in a good year next season. If everything goes his way, it's going to be like 270-ish. And that's not all that great. Certainly wouldn't put him in the top 10. Uh, would give him fewer opportunities if he's uh, striking out as many times as he is because he strikes out a ton. Strikes out a ton. In in, uh, in looking at the last few seasons, close to 900 at-bats, he struck out 260 times in 900-something at-bats, or close to 900. And that's ridiculous. Contact rate is somewhere around 68%. 69% maybe, and that's substantially lower than league average, probably by about uh, 13%. So buyer beware for old Justin Upton. Jason Worth comes in at number eight, again hitting in the hitter's ballpark, and we saw what that did to Raul Abanez last season. So as long as Jason Worth is there in Philadelphia, I think he's a wonderful option, and he really, really came into his own. Now, again, the Dodger homer here, it's very sad to see a player get let go, another player get let go by the Dodgers, only to, in 2009, come out in 571 at-bats and hit 36 home runs and steal 20. 30-plus and 20 is a lock, as far as I'm concerned, with a healthy Jason Worth through the whole course of the season. The batting average is where he could potentially kill you. He did hit 298 and 255 at-bats in 2007, but that was with a batting average in balls in play of almost 400. So there's nothing but luck there when he hit 298. Is uh, the possibility that he's going to hit 270 or high 260s again? Absolutely. I think what we have with Jason Worth is a what-you-see-is-what-you-get scenario. He does strike out way too uh, many times for my taste, but he plays in a great ballpark that's conducive to the power, and there are some good elements, some great elements in that lineup that will support him. So Jason Worth is a player that absolutely I am interested in, and you should be. Matt Holiday comes in at number nine. Matt Holiday was the guy that, as long as he was in Colorado, looking at these statistics, in 2006, he was the number one outfielder in all the player track. In 2007, the number one outfielder in all the player track. 2008, the number two player outfielder in all the player track. And then 2009, drops down only to number eight. And there was so much negativity about his switch to Oakland last season, talking about the home road splits at Coors Field, which was a credible argument. There's no doubt about it. But I, this is what I said about him in, uh, almost a year ago before the season started. I said, the more I think about it, the more all of the negative hype surrounding Matt Holiday feels a lot like the negative hype Albert Pujols got at the beginning of 2008. Remember that with his elbow problems and all that, and people thought he was going to be terrible or the potential he'd be out early, certainly not going to be the same Pujols, and he was the best in the league. 
And so I said, certainly it was, it's for different reasons why I felt that way at the beginning of the season. And I had the option last season to keep Matt Holiday in my money league for 29 bucks, but I decided not to do it. I thought because of the negative hype would probably make him cheaper, which it did, but I wasn't able to get him. Um, and I stated on the record, I said, I think I'm going to go on the record to state that even in Oakland, I think Matt Holiday will produce top 10 outfielder numbers, which would easily make him worth the $29. But I had a feeling I could get him for under 20 And in my league, I think he went for like 25 or so. Unfortunately, people listened to my podcast last year and, and believed my hype. And they picked up on the dividends. Of course, his switch to St. Louis last season made him a lot better, and he did become a much better player in St. Louis than he did uh, in Oakland. There's no doubt about that. He maintains his status in uh, at St. Louis for next season. And the thing that was uh, a remarkable drop in 2008, he went from 36 home runs in 2007 to 25 and nearly 100 fewer at-bats in 2008. So he had some injury woes in 2008, if memory serves, or some some problems, which might have attributed to the drop in power. But the drop in power in, just kept going when he was outside of Coors Field. So Matt Holiday is a hitter's hitter, one of the best hitters in all of baseball, and that's what makes him so valuable, in addition to the fact that he gets on base. He walks, so the ch- his run rates should stay high no matter where he goes. He had a 50% drop in stolen bases, notwithstanding having 14 last season. If he had 28 stolen bases last season, clearly he would probably be top three outfielder still. So it's nice for me as a fan of Matt Holiday because he's been one of those players who's shown the effectiveness of the playertrack.com system the last few years. Nice for me to see him come uh, stay up at number uh, eight. So we'll move on. I still think that Matt Holiday is a very valuable player to have. I'd love to have him. Is he a top 10 player as long as he's in St. Louis? Absolutely. Number 10, I talked about the aforementioned Nelson Cruz. If you believe the player track hype last season, then you did just fine. I did talk about the fact I felt that he, the average that he had in 2008, which is one of the reasons he was so highly ranked, was 330 and 115 at bats. Translated in 462 at-bats, hitting only 260. But he's hitting in the band box in Texas. The power of 33 home runs and only 462 at-bats indicates he's a 40-plus home run player easily. The thing that is most uh, positive for me in looking at him, and this is uh, what I said in December of last year, is I felt he should only get better in 2010. Nelson's BABIP, batting average on balls in play, was over 20 points below league average. So a 270 to 280 batting average is a very reasonable expectation, and therefore he should only increase in value. An argument can be made that the 20 stolen bases he had last season was an aberration, and I get that, but that would be difficult considering that he was only thrown out four of those 24 times. I, I'm realistic and expect a, a stolen base dropout off, excuse me, considering they only had three and 115 at-bats, but still that translates to around 20, so it wouldn't be... Uh, that much off of 20 given a full season. I believe Nelson is a very solid number two who could post first round numbers. So I'm still high on Nelson Cruz as long as he's in Texas. Number 11, Bobby Abreu is another player who I have consistently loved. And one of the reasons I consistently love him is he's a lock every season for 100 RBI. He's also a lock every season for 100 runs scored. He had 96 last season, so around there. 
And that's what makes him so wonderful. Hitting 290 as well, hitting with Tori Hunter in a great uh, Anaheim Angel lineup. And I will continue to call him Anaheim. That's something else you'll learn about me if you're new to the podcast because I am a Los Angeles Dodger fan. And I'm sorry that Angels are not Los Angeles. It's way too far away. If you've been to SoCal, you know what I'm talking about. But as I said at the end of the last season, I said once again, Steady Bobby, 100-plus RBI for the sixth season in a row that player track has been counting statistics. He's as steady as they come, and he should post another solid year. I know he's getting older. He did have a drop in home runs, certainly. The fact that he uh, only had 16 home runs in 2007 and 605 at-bats. But the thing is, especially in on-base percentage leagues, which is what my uh, money league is that I play, I've been playing in for 15 years now, I think. We use on-base percentage. We may change that rule, but if your league's on-base percentage, I mean, the sky's the limit. But that's one of the reasons his runs uh, scored are so high. He had 30 stolen bases, got back to 30 stolen base uh, territory that he hadn't had since 2006, but he was always above 20 in 2007 and 2008. So an incredibly valuable player. Because of age, he probably doesn't have far to go but down or nowhere to go but down. But I don't think it'll be substantially that far down. Um, all the elements are there, so Bobby Bray I absolutely like. Raul Ibanez, as long as he's playing in Philadelphia, he comes in at number 12. He is uh, the man, and that's what I said. He's one of those uh, guys in the podcast last year that I hyped up because of the change, because of the fact that uh, his batting average and balls in play, if memory serves, uh, was uh, 325 and 321 the previous season, so his 290 average was what you probably could expect from him. And that's the thing with Raul, is as good as he was with the power upsurge, that his batting average on balls in play and his contact rate were lower than his league averages in previous seasons. So I think Abanez is a player who has nowhere to go but up right now. He's the 14th overall player track ranked outfielder. Um, uh, here we have number 12 because uh, this is a minimum of 250 at-bats. So there, with under 250, there are a few other players that come before him. But he's still incredibly valuable and will probably hit closer to 290 rather than the 272 that he hit last season. Somebody who I'm not too sure about because his batting average on balls in play was ridiculously high is Matt Diaz of Atlanta. And so this is what I said December 10th of 2009 at the end of last season. What to expect in 2010? While appearing lucky, Matt has a history of hitting for a high batting average on balls in play. So this appears to be more of a skill set than luck. But that being said, Matt is still a risk to hit some 20 points lower because of what his average has been previously. But uh, I still think it's pretty good. I, in NL-only leagues, I think Matt is a good option. For me, only a risky number five in mixed leagues because of little upside, and he's turning 32 next month, so he's getting up there in age. What you see with Matt Diaz is, is probably what you get. There is potential, uh, if the wind's blowing right, that uh, he could hit 20 home runs and perhaps be uh, maybe a 20-20 type ball player, um, but there, his contact rate is pretty lousy. He, he does strike out uh, too much. He struck out 90 times in 371 at-bats last season. So um, you know, that's definitely something to be concerned with. The other thing was his runs scored were probably inflated because of a high on-base percentage. 
that he wasn't notorious for uh, having. He, his on-base percentage was almost 60 points higher than his average. And in previous seasons, in 2008, it was only 20 points higher. And in 2007, it was only about 30 points higher. So that was a little strange and um, to why I can see a little bit of reduction there. But you've heard enough there. Now, two sleeper picks come up right at 14 and 15. And I think this is where I will end. I'll, I'll throw out the, the last four uh, but and not and analyze them because I'm running out of time here. I don't want to bore you. We're heading to 40 minutes. Seth Smith and Carlos Gonzalez, 14 and 15 respectively. Just great statistics and not aberrational contact rates or, or batting average on balls in play. There, uh, Carlos Gonzalez was a little bit high, so maybe a little reduction is 284 average. They only had 278 at-bats, but what makes these guys so exciting is the uh, the home run power from both of these guys. And Colorado had a great comeback uh, last season. And I think we can credit these two youngsters for coming up with that power. And the other thing, you know, the, the run score, Carlos Gonzalez had the ability to uh, get on base. His uh, on-base percentage was almost 70 points higher than his average. And if under proration, Carlos Gonzalez, with his 53 runs scored and, all, and just under 300 at-bats, this was a kid who would have had the, the number one ranking in all of the outfield in runs scored. That's one of those lucky figures. You know, the run scored really depends on a, a variety of things that could be outside of the control of Carlos Gonzalez. But it is something to note, especially with his ability to take a walk. He has uh, two strikeouts per every walk. He only had 28 walks and 278 at-bats, and his strikeout rate is a little bit high, the contact rate being only 74%. So there's a possibility these guys can go down, but I would monitor monitor them in the spring, and these are definitely guys you're looking at as a number four, number five. I haven't seen where these guys are going in uh, drafts, but I'm sure it's late. Now, number 16, Adam Lind comes in. Number 17 under proration, Carlos Beltran. He's given some credit with only 77 appearances in the outfield as if he, and only 308 at-bats as if he went a full season. He would have been expected to be about number 17. Johnny Damon, who's still waiting for a team, comes in at number 18. Johnny Damon is a player who does not get a lot of respect either. Adam Jones is a kid coming in at number 19. There's a lot of potential there, but the thing about him is he came out like gangbusters last year and just went off like I, I talked about his statistics. I'll read them to you real quick before I get off. He had a batting average on balls and play of 388 through the end of May last season when he was the number four hitter in all of baseball. He was the number four best player track player through the end of May. And a lot of people were like, oh, man, I love Adam Jones. Got to have Adam Jones. And I said, look, he's got nowhere to go but down and down hard. And that's what happened because his 388 batting average on balls in play through June to the end of the season ended up down to 310 and his batting average to 277. I can see Adam's batting average falling even lower than that, and that really hurts his value. Number 20 is the last sleeper that we'll talk about and, and uh, just briefly mention, and that's Garrett Jones. Garrett Jones coming to Pittsburgh. He was uh, at Minnesota for a while, if memory serves. Just all-around great player. 21 home runs and 314 at-bats. Certainly caused a lot of folks to raise an eyebrow. The issue with him is we just don't have enough of a sample to know for sure, and especially playing in Pittsburgh and a lousy lineup like that, 
the numbers could not be very good in terms of RBI. For instance, with the 21 home runs that he hit, he only had 44 RBIs. So there aren't a lot of people getting on base for him. Plus side for him is that he did walk quite a bit and that he did have 10 stolen bases. And there is the potential here for 35-20. And uh, that's certainly nice. The only thing is with the small sampling is maybe pitchers that just didn't know him that well. And if that's the case, then what we see here over the course of a long haul might be what we're going to get, but maybe closer to a 270-ish to 280-ish batting average and uh, maybe 25 home runs and uh, 15 stolen bases playing in Pittsburgh. If he was somewhere else, I might be a little more amped about him. But as a number five, I think he's a good gamble there too. Um, Once again, though, this is a player, with my philosophy, I don't like to gamble on young players. If you do, this is somebody that I think you you could likely get late, Uh, maybe not as late as um, somebody like Ryan Rayburn. Uh, I would take, I think I would take Garrett based on those home run numbers over Ryan Rayburn if he was out there. But uh, I'll just let my analysis stand on that. That'll be the, uh, the, f- the end of the first podcast I've done here for Player Track uh, slash Baseball Geeks. I'll probably put this up as the Baseball Geeks uh, podcast as well. I thank you for listening. You can join playertrack.com now for $19.99. If you grab a copy of the Fantasy Baseball Index magazine, there will be a coupon code in there where you can get $5 off. You can also uh, read some of my analysis there as I've uh, been listed as an expert. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know why that happened, but it did in their fantasy baseball index, uh, helping to analyze some of uh, the upcoming season. So take a look at that. That should be coming out in the next few weeks. $19.99. You get the full player track season. You can just get the draft kit for $9.99, which will be the rankings that I'm talking about now. So that's a cheap route that you can go. If you have any questions or suggestions to improve the service, by all means, let me know. You can write me at rob at playertrack.com. Again, my Twitter is twitter.com slash Robert Reed and the website playertrack.com. God bless you all. Take care. And I will be talking to you soon, probably next week, looking at another position.